Chapter 14 of A Confession by Leo Tolstoy, translated by Almer Maud. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. It was then so necessary for me to believe in order to live that I unconsciously concealed from myself the contradictions and obscurities of theology. But this reading of meanings into the rites had its limits. If the chief words in the prayer for the emperor became more and more clear to me, if I found some explanation for the words, and remembering our sovereign, most holy mother of God and all the saints, ourselves and one another, we give our whole life to Christ our God, if I explain to myself the frequent repetitions of prayers for the Tsar and his relations by the fact that they are more exposed to temptations than other people, and therefore are more in need of being prayed for, the prayers about subduing our enemies and evil under our feet, even if one tried to say that sin was the enemy being prayed against, these and other prayers such as the cherubic song and the whole sacrament of oblation or the chosen warriors, etc., quite two-thirds of all the services either remain completely incomprehensible or, when I forced an explanation into them, made me feel that I was lying thereby destroying my relation to God and depriving me of all possibility of belief. I felt the same about the celebration of the chief holidays. To remember the Sabbath, that is, to devote one day to God, was something I could understand. But the chief holiday was in commemoration of the resurrection, the reality of which I could not picture to myself or understand. And the name of resurrection was also given to the weekly holiday. And on those days the sacrament of the Eucharist was administered, which was quite unintelligible to me. The rest of the twelve great holidays, except Christmas, commemorated miracles, the things I tried not to think about in order to not deny, the Ascension, Pentecost, Epiphany, the Feast of the Intercession of the Holy Virgin, etc. At the celebration of these holidays, feeling that importance was being attributed to the very things that to me presented a negative importance, I either devised tranquilizing explanations or shut my eyes in order not to see what tempted me. Most of all, this happened to me when taking part in the most usual sacraments, which are considered the most important baptism and communion. There I experienced not incomprehensible but fully comprehensible doings, doings which seemed to me to lead into temptation, and I was in a dilemma, whether to lie or to reject them. Never shall I forget the painful feeling I experienced the day I received the Eucharist for the first time after many years. The service, confession, and prayers were quite intelligible and produced in me a glad consciousness that the meaning of life was being revealed to me. The communion itself I explained as an act I performed in remembrance of Christ in indicating a purification from sin and the full acceptance of Christ's teachings. If that explanation was artificial, I did not notice its artificiality. So happy was I at humbling and abasing myself before a priest, a simple, timid country clergyman, turning all the dirt out of my soul and confessing my vices. So glad was I to merge in thought with the humanity of the fathers who wrote the prayers of the office. So glad was I of union with all those who have believed and now believe that I did not notice the artificiality of my explanation. But when I approached the altar gates, and the priest made me say that I believed that what I was about to swallow was truly flesh and blood, I felt a pain in my heart. It was not merely a false note, it was a cruel demand made by someone or other who evidently had never known what faith is. I now permit myself to say that it was a cruel demand, but I did not then think so, only that it was indescribably painful to me. I was no longer in the position in which I had been in youth, when I thought that all in life was clear. I had indeed come to faith because, apart from faith, I had found nothing certainly nothing, except destruction. Therefore to throw away that faith was impossible, and I submitted. And I found in my soul a feeling which helped me to endure it. This was the feeling of self-abasement and humility. I humbled myself, swallowed that flesh and blood without any blasphemous feelings, and with a wish to believe. But the blow had been struck, and knowing what awaited me, I could not go a second time. I continued to fulfill the rites of the Church, and still believed that the doctrine I was following contained the truth, when something happened to me which I now understand, but which then seemed strange. I was listening to the conversation of an illiterate peasant, a pilgrim, about God, faith, life, and salvation, when a knowledge of faith revealed itself to me. I drew near to the people, listening to their opinions of life and faith, 
and I understood the truth more and more. So also was it when I read the lives of holy men, which became my favorite books. Putting aside the miracles and regarding them as fables illustrating thoughts, this reading revealed to me life's meaning. There were the lives of Macarius the Great, the story of Buddha, there were the words of St. John Chrysostom, and there were the stories of the traveler in the well, the monk who found some gold, and of Peter the publican. There were stories of the martyrs, all announcing that death does not exclude life, and there were the stories of ignorant, stupid men, who knew nothing of the teaching of the church, but who yet were saved. But as soon as I met learned believers or took up their books, doubt of myself, dissatisfaction, and exasperated disputation were roused in me, and I felt that the more I entered into the meanings of these men's speeches, the more I went astray from truth and approached an abyss. End of chapter 14